Welcome to It's the ADHD Friendly Podcast, where we talk all things well-being, personal development, and living our best damn ADHD lives at home and at work. My name is Karen McGill. I'm a certified ADHD life coach, and I'm here to help you do life better. Hey, everyone. Happy Friday. I hope that you had a fantastic week. It is Monday as I record this, Monday of the same week, and I'm trying to get ahead of my content this week because next week I am going on an adventure. I'm going on my first solo trip that I've done in a long time, aside from, you know, conferences and things like that. I'm flying to Denver for a Joe Dispenza retreat. So if you are familiar with Joe Dispenza, then you're probably very envious of this. (laughs) If you're not familiar with Joe Dispenza, he is... His background is that he's a chiropractor and he has also, I guess, done graduate studies in neuroscience. So I don't know if that makes him a neuroscientist or not. I'm not familiar with that nomenclature, but at any rate, he has a scientific and health background. He had a really bad accident when he was in his, I don't know, early 30s and to the point where he didn't know if he'd be able to walk again. He fell off a bike during a triathlon. And he was encouraged to do back surgery and put like steel rods in his back. But he knew as a chiropractor that if this is what he went through, that he would not be able to move his body as freely as he did, as freely as most of us have the ability to do. So he said no to the surgery and instead went through this exploration of self-healing. And that took him down a path of exploring yoga science, yoga philosophy, and really understanding how you can use those ancient technologies to heal yourself. And he became living proof of that and dedicated all of his work to not only diving deeper into this research and developing his own research, but also writing books and doing conferences and things like that. Now, you might either find that totally fascinating or you may find that that is a total crock. I'm not going to sell you on either direction because I always go into these things with a healthy dose of skepticism. That said, coming from my own life experience with yoga, going all the way to India to learn the science and the philosophy behind it, I really resonate with the things that he says from a spiritual side of the fence. I also, being a very cerebral human being, appreciate the way he comes at the same topic from a scientific aspect, understanding that intersection between spirituality and science and particularly has as it relates to our brains and more specifically how it relates to the ADHD brain. So my intent to going to this conference is to deeper explore that intersection between energy management and ADHD and at the end of the day, how can we use the science that he's referring to and the philosophy and science of yoga to really enhance the ADHD experience, not only to just survive with the symptoms of ADHD, but to thrive with them. Because I've said this before and I'll say it again, I feel that if we can overcome the boundaries that a lot of us deal with and if we can manage our brain and our attention, we are no longer at a disadvantage, but we're actually at an advantage over the neurotypical people in the world because we do have fast brains. So let's get into today's topic. For the past several years, I have really been immersed in this whole world of ADHD, both through the lens of coaching and just my own research in the neuroscience 
and also my curiosity around the spiritual side of energy management. And all of that, along with the adults that I've been coaching for the past several years and my 53 years of life experience, has really culminated in a framework for how I think about thriving with a neurodiverse brain. And I'm going to break that down today into three very unique and continuous stages. And the word continuous is intentional because when you think of stage one, two, and three, you might assume that you start off as a beginner, then you're intermediate and advanced, and then you're done. But this is not the type of development that I'm talking about. It's more circular, like a flywheel. And when you consider your own self-development in the middle of that flywheel, every time you go through these three stages and you come full circle, you learn more about yourself, you make better choices, you manage your energy better, and as a result, you become a more unique version of yourself. And every time you make that uh, rotation around this flywheel, you're peeling back that onion of yourself and you truly become the person that you were meant to be. And I hope that this framework that I'm sharing today helps you not only think about the context of the information I share and the way I coach, but I also hope it helps you in the context of your own life in terms of directing your own self-development. Because as ADHDers, we have a hard time thinking inside of our own heads. So it can be a challenge to think about the areas where we know we need to develop and then set a plan to actually execute and get into a, into a rhythm of it. So I hope that today's framework discussion helps put some uh, structure around that so that you can really move your own development forward and also understand what I'm trying to do here a little bit better. So I've already explained the flywheel and you now know that the three stages that I'm gonna share with you are really continuous and you never get off that flywheel. Just continue to become a more and more authentic version of yourself who thrives in a life that is uniquely designed for them. So the first stage is self-awareness and building self-awareness is so important for ADHDers. In psychology, we refer to self-awareness as metacognition or the way we think about how we think. And this is an executive function that really doesn't develop for any of us, ADHD or not, until we're in our 20s. So the way research has shared is that in your earlier 20s, if you're neurotypical, this form of thinking about your thinking will come online fully. But because developmentally, ADHDers tend to be about six years behind neurotypical people, their full development may not come online until about age 26 or 27. And even then, when they look at brain scans, this is one of the reasons why they can see an ADHD brain versus a neurotypical brain, because that part of the brain, which is in the right anterior cortex, stays underdeveloped to some degree. Now, the good news is that this is a muscle that can be developed like any other muscle in your body. And when you hear the phrase, the pill is not the skill, this is exactly what it means. It means that you can take an ADHD med to help you focus and be more aware in the moment, but then from there, you need to be able to build these skills. And self-awareness is a really big one. Now, when you think about self-awareness or people that, that seem very uh, not self-aware, they might be boisterous or clumsy or say idiotic things that offend people because they're not really thinking about what they're thinking. We might also think of teenagers this way. Like when you were a teenager, I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, 
my parents often said to me, what were you thinking? And the reality is that I wasn't really thinking because I didn't have that level of metacognition in place for me to actually think through all of the consequences and what will happen in the future if I make this decision. So that gives you an idea of self-awareness on the metacognition level. And when it comes to that person who is boisterous or rude, that doesn't necessarily mean that is a definition of ADHDers. That can often just be the definition of somebody who uh, needs to refine their manners fully, or maybe they're a cranky person or a person who is underslept. I think we all have those tendencies to behave in a very unself-aware way, whether you have ADHD or not. That's not really what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is having the self-awareness to understand what's happening in the moment and how it's impacting you and your energy. So Here's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. Have you ever been sitting in a room at dusk, reading a book or studying or whatever, and the daylight is receding, but you may not realize that the room has gotten so dark until somebody comes into the room, realizes how dark it is and says, oh my gosh, like how can you read in the dark? And then they switch on the light. And then all of a sudden you have this moment of oh my gosh, I had no idea how dark it was. And then you look at the page you're reading and now it's so much easier. And in that moment, you realize that your environment had changed without you being aware of it. So as a result, your eyes had to work harder and harder to keep doing the same level of output or work, but you weren't aware of it. So you just continued to work harder and harder to read the pages. So that is a perfect metaphor for ADHD self-awareness. And very often we are not aware that the lights are dimming and dimming, but we're working harder and harder and we don't understand why we're getting so tired. So that is the perfect illustration of what I mean by self-awareness. But how does that actually look in your life? It can mean a number of things. On a very deep level, it can be not being self-aware of how you're showing up and matching the behavior of the people around you, even though it is not aligned with who you are or how you feel in the moment. So when we talk about masking, which is showing up, looking one way, but feeling another, very often we're not doing that consciously. We're doing it subconsciously because we've been socialized to present as a certain way. And we may not even be aware or realize how we're feeling in the moment and how that is not at all aligned with the mask that we're presenting to the world. And that is very exhausting. Self-awareness or a lack thereof as an ADHDer can also be why we go a whole day without drinking water or eating or getting out of our pajamas because our brains and our minds and our focus are absorbed in something and we're unaware of our biological cues that are going on. And I can think of no better example of that than the rise of ADHD burnout. Again, coming back to these body cues, we don't realize when we are overworking, over-consuming, overthinking, overstressing, over all the things to the point where our body is yelling at us, you need to slow down, you need to stop, this is not good, we need to rest. And of course, because we don't have the self-awareness to hear what our body is telling us, we just keep going and going until we run into a wall and crash down on the ground. And then we're like, what happened? <laughs> We've all been there. So very often self-awareness presents as a, a disconnection from everything from the neck down in our bodies. And our bodies are really where most of our intelligence is. Like when we think about our mind is not the same thing as our brain. Our brain's one and only priority is to keep us alive. So it's making every decision it possibly can 
to keep the body running. But the body, if you can't hear the cues from the body because the brain is doing what it wants to do, then there's a disconnect there. So I hope that frames the idea of self-awareness and why it's so important for us to build that muscle. So you might be nodding your head going, yeah, Karen, I need to develop self-awareness. How do I do that? And that is (laughs) absolutely the $64,000 question. And there is a million different answers I could give you, which will happen over time. (laughs) But in this moment, I can share with you the things that have helped me build self-awareness. First of all, understanding what self-awareness is. Now you have a general idea, being aware of your environment and how hard you're working in some cases to just keep up when there's other things that you could do, like switching on a light to make your life a lot easier on yourself. You probably understand now that there is this body-mind connection that is not always in place when you lack that self-awareness. So in order to build it, Other things that have helped me is mindfulness, and I want to divorce mindfulness for a second from anything that you might think of, which is meditation, yoga, those sort of things, because mindfulness in and of itself is being present in the moment. Perfect example of that is if you are washing the dishes, being present to wash the dishes. You're not listening to something, watching TV or anything else. You are present in the moment, you're washing the dishes, and your hands feel the soap and the water and the dish, and you're hearing the water swish around, and you can smell the the liquid lemony smell, and you're seeing the dish getting clean and all the crud that's on it move away. Basically, you submerse your senses in what you're doing. It's a perception thing, right? Like we're trying to build our perceptions so that we connect that familiarity between what's happening in our brain and what's happening in our body. So that is mindfulness. And if you can bring mindfulness into every moment, like right now as you're listening to this podcast, are you listening to the podcast but not really because you're scrolling Instagram or watching TV or talking to your kid or trying to ignore somebody who's trying to talk to you? You see what I mean? If you're not using all of your senses to be present in the moment, then you're not mindful to that experience. Now, that said yoga and meditation are great tools for practicing mindfulness. So for example, with yoga in particular, as to what I've said around that disconnect between the body and the mind, yoga is the union. Yoga literally means to yoke, and it's to yoke the body, mind, and spirit through breath, all right? Now, when we think about yoga in the West, we think about exercise and being on a mat and moving our body through space, which is a great thing. It's a small piece of yoga, but it's an important piece. So when you think about rolling out a yoga mat and getting on there and doing some sun salutations or whatever it is you're going to do, doesn't matter how good you are, how flexible you are, moving your body on a mat while you're breathing intentionally, inhale, upward facing dog, downhale, or sorry, exhale, downward facing dog. When you're going through that breath per movement, you are making a physical connection between your body and your mind through breath. And that is a very powerful thing. That's why when you finish up a yoga class, if you've ever been to one or even just done a 20-minute yoga session on YouTube, you feel this sort of elation or what they call a yoga buzz. And the reason you feel that is because you've calmed the mind by using breath to connect the brain and the body, and you are now way more self-aware. And it's funny, if you are doing yoga and you do yoga with a piece of gum in your mouth, you may not notice the gum or the flavor of the gum at first, But mark my words, by the end of the class, assuming you have a strong flavored gum, 
that gum will almost feel overpowering in terms of its senses. I've also tried doing yoga with flavored water. When I'm starting my yoga class, I, I won't even pay attention to the flavor of the water, but over the course of the class, the flavor of that water becomes so intense I can't even drink it anymore. And the reason is that yoga increases your perceptions and your sensory ability to be aware of what's happening, whether it's taste, smell, hearing, all those things. And that's why some yoga teachers will really resonate with you and some won't because your perceptions and your feelings are so palpable when you're doing yoga. Other things, if we'll get off that topic now, automatic prompts to check in with yourself. Every day, I have a reminder on my computer that dings at 4 p.m. and it's an energy check-in. And the check-in says, how do you feel? If you're not feeling good, what's going on with your body? Is that um, whatever's going on, is it your energy or is it somebody else's energy that you're picking up? Because that's another part of self-awareness, right? Knowing what's your energy and what's not your energy. Journaling is another good thing to build awareness if you are somebody who likes to journal. ADHD coaching, this is between this and the next stage that I'm about to get into, is really what ADHD coaching was designed to do. And that is to help you understand what works for you and what doesn't work for you by asking you skillful questions, learning where you have some limiting beliefs or just some inaccurate beliefs or uh, aspects about yourself where you haven't explored, like little dark areas and corners, nooks and crannies that it's like when somebody asks you a certain question, it's like, oh, never really thought about that. So that's not somebody telling you to think a certain way. That's somebody probing the way you currently think for you to think a different way, right? It's always from what's inside. So that is self-awareness and whatever you can do to build your perception and your awareness of yourself and that body-mind connection is going to go a long way to helping you design a life that's meant for you. Because the more self-aware you are, the more you can understand where you're sitting in rooms where it's too dark. So that brings us into the next stage, which is lifestyle design. And it is really the answer or response to that question we just asked ourselves about whether or not what we're doing is for us or not for us based on our self-awareness. So once you have the self-awareness to realize that something is either not working for you or it is working for you, you then have the choice and opportunity to change it. But you can't change it unless you're aware of it. This entire stage is about building internal and external structure to accommodate your executive function impairments. So coming back to this example of reading in a darkening room, if you realize that you have a tendency to read in dark rooms, then you might consider putting a light switch on a timer so that when, you know, six or seven o'clock rolls around and the lights start to dim, but you're not really paying attention to it and your eyes are just working harder and harder, automatically a light will go on and it will fix that problem. Now that is a super small and oversimplistic idea, but I hope it illustrates the point I'm trying to make here about small incremental changes that make a lot of difference over time. Imagine if you had the ability to add a metaphorical automatic light switch to every dim area of your life. Think about how much easier your life might be. So lifestyle design encompasses both internal and external accommodations. So a light switch is an external accommodations. And we can give ourselves both of those things to help ease the burden of living with ADHD. So again, this is the point where we're switching from 
surviving with ADHD to actually thriving. I had a client, for example, who got fired from her job for constantly being late. And the lateness came as a result of her getting dressed in the morning. Like I asked her, what's going on with your morning routine that's making this problem? And she said, like, the process of putting on clothes was so overwhelming. She would cycle through the same outfits every day and nothing would feel right. And then she would toss them on the floor and go through every single outfit she had. And then by the time she was out the door, it was an hour later and she was feeling very dysregulated. And then she would come home that night to like a bomb that has gone off in her bedroom because all of her clothes are on the floor and it would just cycle through and through. And through coaching, because I just kept poking out what's going on there, she discovered that her clothes were actually a metaphor for the job that she was getting dressed for. She never felt like she fit in. She had not finished university and yet she was working in a medical field with a bunch of scientists. So she felt less than. And her way of trying to accommodate for that was dressing for the part, right? Like she would be wearing suits, whereas suits were like the worst thing she could possibly dress as her own authentic self. And she kept trying on different outfits every day, knowing none of them were going to reflect who she really was. And that was the struggle. So she ended up getting laid off. That's an unfortunate part. Had she been self-aware enough to realize that maybe this was the issue, she could have either, A, adjusted her wardrobe so that it accommodated her now that she was aware of the belief that was driving that, or B, found a different job, which she eventually did find a different job that I think she was actually working from home. And it suited her much better because it was more aligned with who she was. So this is the area where we get to make better choices based on this improved self-awareness. So it can mean saying no to things that you realize no longer serve you, or it can mean adopting new habits and systems that support the way you want to do things. It can touch every area of your life from how you stock your fridge so that you don't forget about perishable foods and you have them in front, or how you spend time with your friends. Like maybe you start to realize that you're much better off going for hikes in nature with your friends rather than going to a noisy bar where you get overstimulated and tend to drink too much and spend too much, right? Like when you start to notice these things about yourself, you have the ability to make choices that are better aligned to you. It is important to point out, however, that lifestyle design is most impactful and sustainable when it is created by you based on the self-awareness that you develop. Like I said earlier with coaching, when you're able to help somebody discover something about themselves, then the next part of that is asking them, what could you do differently? What has worked in the past? Have them explore for themselves their own solutions, because I can give you solutions all day long, but I'm not you. I'm not in your skin. I've never had your life experience. You are always the best person to come up with these lifestyle adjustments. So these two stages are, like I said, the cornerstone of ADHD coaching. If you go to coaching because you're overwhelmed and burned out, your coach should be asking you questions to help bring into self-awareness what's going on and reflecting back to you what they hear. So this bubbles up the beliefs and assumptions and faulty thinking that you aren't really aware of. And that is when you start having the ahas about where you're living in the dark. And then from there, you can choose to switch on a light switch or get an automatic light switch or whatever the case may be, but it's only when you have that self-awareness that you're going to have that ability. Now, the third step is energy management. And this is the piece where you start to live out and enjoy the fruits of your self-awareness and your design changes. 
you've understood where you're going wrong with your morning routine and you're starting to get used to a new one that is based and designed on what you need. This is the point where you are aware that your job is slowly killing you and you have designed what an ideal job might look for and now you're actually looking for the job or doing it. This is where you have more time for sleep and meditation and you can start being more intentional about these self-care items, whether that's meditating or saying no to things because you see how it's starting to impact you. So here's the very important thing to realize. Success at this stage is only going to happen by sustaining your changes and being aware of not falling back into bad habits. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to make micro changes rather than macro changes because Here's the thing again, we have impaired awareness. So very often we expect more of ourselves than is reasonable to expect. So when we start realizing that certain things are draining us and we've designed new systems to implement, we might get so excited that we implement them all at once, which is a self-awareness issue, right? So at this point, you've got to recycle through that entire process to build self-awareness around the new habits that you're building so that They are things that you can sustain because here's the dangerous point in this whole cycle piece. If you get to the point of energy management where you're executing on all the work that you've done so far and you overload yourself, number one, you're not managing your energy. Number two, you will fail and get discouraged. Number three, you will continue to build an identity of somebody who doesn't follow through on things, whether they're aware of them or not. And you're going to feel more tortured now because you're not following through on things that you are now aware are very problematic for you. This is why energy management is really a practice of going slow, making small, steady changes over time, and being aware of the changes that you're making to make sure that they are the right changes because you aren't necessarily going to be perfect right out of the gate, right? That's another thing that we have to deal with. Perfectionism, black and white thinking, all of these things that we know to be true for ADHDers comes down to self-awareness. When we can actually have that level of metacognition where we're thinking about our thinking, we are in a much better place to make changes and sustain them over time. So as you execute on your lifestyle design, you'll start to become more aware of how your energy is flowing, whether you have more energy or less. And if you've done your work, then you will see a general progression uh, like up and to the right, because everything that your life touches at the end of the day, either drains your energy or gives you energy. Rarely are things energy neutral. This phase is also about self-regulation because when I speak of energy management, I don't just mean physical energy. I also mean emotional energy and mental energy, which has more to do with how your nervous system is doing than whether or not you have enough energy for cardio this morning. I've talked about emotional regulation before, but it's worth repeating in this context that if we can learn to self-regulate, or even just identify when we're dysregulated, then we have so many more options available to us in terms of how we respond to triggers in our environment. And the beauty of this system is that your new habits and energy levels will bring more self-awareness, which will inspire more lifestyle tweaks, which will create even better energy for you to do more and more of what you love. So coming back to that analogy that we were talking about in terms of reading in the dark, and now You've designed your environment so that the light switches on automatically. Now, you never have to read in the dark again. 
Now you can finish your homework a lot faster and your eyes will be lit way less strained. You'll also be more tuned in to how ambient light impacts your energy. And then you might start to become aware of other factors that are causing distraction like clutter in your room or the TV that's on and it's too loud because your sense of perception all around is starting to get more and more fine-tuned. It's cyclical and it is beautiful. So with all of that said, as you think about this framework in the context of your life, as we know, it starts with self-awareness. But the problem with self-awareness is that we don't know what we don't know. So we're not aware of the things that we're not aware of until we're prompted to look at them. So included in this episode, I've got a list of prompts to help you build some sense of awareness in areas of your life. And hopefully over time, this will help you build that muscle of self-awareness so that you can, again, go on to the other elements of this work. And I know I've recommended ADHD coaching as a tool to help you with this process, but I also recognize that is not something that's available to everyone. But being aware of your senses and building your mindfulness muscle, that is aware to everybody. That is basically you practicing using your senses in the moment to fully experience the moment, whatever the moment is, whether it's a boring moment or a great moment, or you're just washing dishes. Practice mindfulness. If you can, practice yoga. There's some great yoga on YouTube if you don't want to spend a dime. All you need are some comfy clothes. Or practice going for walks outside without something in your earballs, just listening to the birds and feeling the pavement below your feet and feeling how your body's moving through space. Anything that you can do to build your interoception actually changes the cerebellum in your brain. It changes the balance of your brain. And balance exercises are great for ADHDers because it builds on your cerebellum, which also has a direct impact on your executive function. I did want to underscore that because, again, coming back to what I talked about last week, body movement is critical to your emotional and mental wellness and acuity. So please don't forget to move your body and please don't forget to download the prompts that are listed below in the show notes. I will also link them in this week's newsletter. So make sure that you're on uh, the Sunday setup. And on that note, guys, thanks for listening. I hope this was helpful. It's going to frame everything that I share going forward. So today was just like the charcuterie board on the way to the buffet. All right. Have a great week. I can't wait to share with you how my adventure went. And on that note, I will be back here in your earballs next Friday. Ciao for now. Thank you for listening. For links and resources for this podcast, please visit itsadhdfriendly.com or click the link in the show description. Please also be sure to subscribe so you get automatic updates when new shows are posted. And of course, please do leave us an ADHD-friendly review. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.